Welcome to The Everyday Creative, a podcast that encourages creation over consumption. I'm Emily, a certified health education specialist. And I'm Evie, a licensed art therapist. And together, we talk about ways everyday people can incorporate creativity into their lives in order to consume less and create more. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to The Everyday Creative. I'm Emily. And I'm Evie. And we're here to help you be more creative in your daily life and become less of a consumer. So we've officially defined creativity as an infinite internal process of bringing into existence something new in order to solve problems, communicate, make connections, or add value. So now we're going to start talking about what different types of creativity they are. This is going to like play into the definition a little bit. The goal is to help you discover the type of creativity that resonates with you and maybe help you find a new type of creativity that you didn't even know existed. Okay, so types of creativity. We're going to go into some academic definitions first. A lot of this research comes from Arne Dietrich. I'm probably destroying the pronunciation of that guy's name, Um, but he's a professor of cognitive neuroscience, and he's at the American University of Beirut in Lebanon. So he wrote a paper back in 2004 to determine different types of creativity, and these are all based on neural pathways in the brain. So I'll try to explain what this looks like. There will be a picture of all of this in the show notes. And to me, this this kind of gets super technical. So I'm just going to go over the highlights and then we'll start talking about it into concepts, which I think are easier to understand. So he has two different spectrums. Uh, the first is the processing mode, and it ranges from deliberate to spontaneous. This forms the x-axis. And then the second is the knowledge domain. So like how, like where the source of the knowledge is coming from. And that ranges from cognitive to emotional. So you put these two axes together, you end up with four quadrants. So it's a square with four quadrants. And within those four quadrants, you have the names of the creativity. So Evie, is this making sense so far? I can kind of picture that. It's bringing me back to when I learned math and algebra and I'm seeing the X and the Y axis and it's one, two, three, and four yeah. different categories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, so you I think got I'm it. with you. Yeah. So I think maybe to him it matters where these names are on the one, two, three, four quadrants, but we're just going to go through the four of them. Like I said, there'll be a picture in the show notes. So this helps you make, make a little bit more sense of it. Perfect. Yeah. So first you've got the deliberate and cognitive. That's one type. So this is the type of creativity that's purposeful. You have to have a lot of knowledge in one area and it also requires a lot of time. So it allows you to pay like focused attention and connect the dots. So it's deliberate and cognitive. That's the first one. Then you have deliberate and emotional. So instead of your work relying on like a ton of knowledge, it's more 
your work is more influenced by emotions. You need quiet time, time to reflect. You're doing some journal writing, but it's still deliberate in nature. Then you have spontaneous and cognitive. So this, think like Eureka moments with Isaac Newton. It requires still a lot of knowledge. Like he still had a lot of knowledge in a particular area, that particular area of science, but it was spontaneous. It just kind of came to him. Then lastly, you have spontaneous and emotional. So this is going to be musicians, artists. This is a type of creativity that can't be worked on, but you still might need specific, or but specific knowledge is not needed in a particular area, but skill is. So like, you know, painters and musicians, they still need skill in a particular area. So that is the way he breaks it down initially. But then he kind of updated his research, and this is that Arne Dietrich guy. He updated his research in 2019, and he's divided creativity into three types. And some of this stuff is going to sound a little bit more familiar, and I think it's a little bit more approachable. So you have the deliberate mode. Creative ideas are generated by trial and error. So think scientific experiments and things like that. And then you have the spontaneous mode. That's just the way it sounds. It arrives suddenly. It's spontaneous. It's unintentional. And then you have the flow mode, which I think people are realizing more nowadays. Like flow gets talked about a lot. And it's ideas that come through fluid and effortless motion. Um, It bypasses, you know, conscious thought altogether. Mm -hmm. So one thing I thought sounded interesting when he was doing this in within this research is that he makes the point that a creative act doesn't necessarily use one mode exclusively and it may incorporate all three like if you think about writing a song so part of a verse might come to you in a flash and you know you write that down and and you got that figured out But if you're trying to figure out different chord progressions, that might take trial and error. Like you'll do one progression, maybe it doesn't sound the way you want to, you do it again until you get it right. And then at other times, you're like really in the zone, really in a state of flow, and the song just kind of comes together. Right. So does that that make sense? Yeah, so... To kind of play off of your song analogy, a deliberate mode would be you actually have an intention to sit down and write a song. So mm-hmm. maybe you start writing. And then as you start writing, something just comes to you. And then it's more of a spontaneous spontaneous effort, if you will. Right. And then if you sit down long enough and you have the right amount of skill and you're in the right mode, it becomes flow. And flow is the optimal level of brain functioning where you're not necessarily thinking about something, but it's where creativity really lives because you have all the ingredients necessary to just get in that zone, which flow is another word for getting in the zone, which was like the original term for flow. Because you think about that whenever I think of getting in the zone, I think of football because they talked about getting in the zone for athletes. I think it is the zone to where you're not. It does. And I think that's where that originated. And a lot of the research uses examples from sports 
because whenever you're in the zone, you're just moving and you're not thinking about what you're doing. And as soon as you start to think about what you're doing, you come out of that flow mode or that zone and that's where you make mistakes. Yeah. So I feel like flow mode is where it all comes together and creativity really works in that state. Although it can be deliberate and it can be spontaneous, those really just happen in like fits and starts. Whereas flow mode really, really allows you to use your brain in its entirety. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the optimal level. That makes sense. That covers like the academic side of creativity. But I think that leaves a lot of people out when you're talking about being creative in like an, an everyday sort of context or like in a more simple sort of context. But I think like when you talk about types of intelligences, that's another way to think about types of creativity. Mm-hmm. So there, there's not really a, a certain number of types of creativity there's a general consensus that there's eight. Uh, Harvard Gardner, no, his name is Howard Gardner, but he's <laughs> he's at Harvard. Um, he's a psychologist, and he kind of came up with like a framework in the '80s. And most, of, I feel like most of these types are still used today. And I think it it's it's more inclusive. You know, because I don't think a dancer would describe themselves as having, as being intelligent, but dancing is a type of intelligence. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that right, but. So a dancer, they may not describe what they're doing as intelligent, but it requires a form of intelligence depending on how you think about it. Right, because people normally think of intelligence as only the type of smartness that it takes to pass a test or to do well in school. But usually IQ tests. IQ tests determine types of intelligence, but that's not all intelligence is. Right. Right. So this framework gives like eight different types of intelligence is... And and I think everybody falls into one or more of these types. So we'll go over those. Uh, the first is a visual, like a visual slash spatial intelligence. You can think abstractly in multiple dimensions. So think photographer, pilot, a surgeon, a personal trainer would need to see basically the way, like you need to see in 3D kind of. Then you have bodily kinesthetic. That's the ability to use your body that demonstrates physical and athletic prowess. So this is where your dancer comes in, an athlete, a builder, an actor would need this. Then you have musical, sensitivity to rhythm, pitch, tone. Those are pretty obvious. You've got your singer, your conductor, your DJ, your composer. Then you have interpersonal, the ability to interact in effect, to interact effectively with others. The sensitivity to others' moods, feelings, motivation. This is going to be your a good manager, a politician, mental health professionals, salespeople. Intrapersonal, that's when you're sensitive to your own feelings. 
Um, this should really be a goal for everyone to have some degree of intrapersonal um, sensitivity or intrapersonal intelligence. Uh, this is going to be, you know, someone in the mental health field. Entrepreneurs have this type of intelligence. Uh, then you have linguistic. And this is going to be sensitivity to the meaning and order of words. You're good at writing stories, memorizing, reading, a novelist, writer, editor, lawyer. Then you have logical and mathematical ability to analyze problems logically and investigate issues mathematically, computer programmer, accountant, engineer. And lastly, you have your naturalistic, which I thought this one was interesting. Uh, it's not something that you would think about first. But this is the ability to understand nuances in nature, including like the telling the difference between plants and animals and other elements in nature. This is your farmer, your florist, your biologist, conservationists. So that sums up the eight types of intelligence that are usually used in, in this type of type of framework. I've never thought about it in such great detail before about all the different kind of areas of expertise one can dip their toe into. And it, what stands out to me is so many of these have to do with like your strengths and your interests. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of this is knowing yourself and learning about yourself and what type you fit best in and then just leaning into that. Yeah. And I, I think, I think being exposed to the different types helps like just knowing mm -hmm. that, that, oh, the fact that I go like to go out and pick flowers and I know what all the flowers are. That's a, that's a type of intelligence. Right. I work with a lot of students because I work in an education department mm -hmm. and there's all these questions about, you know, you know, why is education important? And then pointing out all the issues with our formal education system. But I do think that at least some of these are touched upon and that's why we learn about, you know, all different types of things. You know, why do I need to learn math and why do I need to learn this or why do I need to learn about biology? And I really think the education system attempts to expose people to the various types of intelligence and creativity. Of course, there's ways it can improve, but... Yeah. Well, yeah, because they're it, taking some of this stuff out of school. They do. They do. But at the same time, it's an attempt to expose you to different things so you can learn... You can learn where your strengths are and what you are interested in. And I do think by incorporating a little bit more of this mm -hmm. and the, the reasoning behind it and exposing kids to more options, because for example, the naturalistic one, they do have, what is that? Like agriculture classes. They do have right. future farmers of America, at least in some schools. I remember we had an ag class. We did. That was a big deal. Uh, yeah. Big deal. Yeah. So there are pieces of this in our formal education, but I think if it was incorporated even more in order to give everyone, you know, a smattering of, of each of these, it could right. help someone learn about what they're interested in and what they need to focus more on as they continue to develop. Yeah. I think part of the problem is for some, it feels like these, 
types have a hierarchy, like some are valued more than others. Right. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that in what we take out of school and what we do more of really highlights our values as a society. Yeah. And I think we could do better to, by knowing this and understanding that there are a lot of different ways that you can express your intelligence and genius could help to encourage people to really just focus on their strengths and what they're good at. Because if everyone does that, what they can contribute to the world is incredibly valuable. Yeah. So let's move on to another way of thinking about this. In the book Limitless, which was written by Jim Quick, this book is all about learning how to learn and learning about yourself and how to optimize and really reach your own potential. Because if you know how to learn and you learn how your brain works and how um, to best incorporate that into your life, you can really, like we talked about, really offer value in the world and also just be happier and healthier and and all those things that come along with this. Mm -hmm. So the way he talks about this is describing types of genius And there are four types that he goes into. So understanding types of genius can help us understand ourselves better, such as how to approach projects in all areas of life. This can help us understand how we work best and improve relationships with ourselves and others, which can also help us reduce stress. There's four different types. The first one is called the dynamo. And dynamos are typically big picture creatives. They thrive on coming up with new ideas. And we see this type of genius in technology. So different leaders like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, they are really good at seeing possibilities and bringing them to life. But on the downside, it is difficult when it comes to details. They tend to fall short when it comes to details. They can also seem to have their heads in the clouds, their thoughts wondering instead of paying attention to the task at hand. So, for example, Albert Einstein was a dynamo genius and made a lot of mistakes in his equations. When working with or educating a dynamo, it's important to remember that they need help with details and keeping them focused on the task. So does this talk about, which maybe you'll go over this later, but like pairing different geniuses together yeah, it does talk about, so it talks about strengths and weaknesses. Okay. And in, as you'll see, certain areas or certain types of geniuses, they need help in certain areas, whereas others may be good at that. So if you pair mm-hmm. them together, they can kind of work off of each other's strengths and weaknesses, making them good teams. Yeah. Okay. And we can talk about, we can talk more about that later too, because I want to bring up that quiz that we took, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll mention that a little bit later. So go ahead. What's the next one? Okay. So the next one is the Blaze. And Blaze geniuses are leaders. They tend to be really charismatic and their strength is in connections. So they work really good with people. And not only are they good at bringing teams together um, because they're so likable, but they can also identify strengths in others which allows them to work really well as teams and work together on their goals. So you have people like Oprah Winfrey and Bill Clinton. 
They tend to learn through talking. So while it seems like it's idle chatter, they actually really work well in talking. So it's how they solve problems. Since the Blaze Genius will struggle with tedious tasks, allowing them some freedom in either being able to walk around the office or move within a class environment will help them feel unobstructed. Okay, so we have two so far that are not good with details. Yes. Okay. So that brings us to the Tempo Genius. These people tend to be grounded and focused on the task at hand until they're able to understand what they're doing and ready to make a decision. So they prefer step-by-step approach, and these are people who will meet their deadlines no matter how long it takes or what obstacles stand in their way. And they'll ensure that the entire team stays focused as well. So Tempo Geniuses, you have Michael Phelps and Warren Buffett. They focus on their goals taking a logical and methodical approach to success. For all their focus, the tempo will struggle when given open-ended or creative tasks. They prefer to work one step at a time from an already constructed plan to solve problems instead of envisioning how to come up with the plan itself. These are the workers and students who want the assignment and the due date so they can get to work. Mm. And finally, you have the steal. So... The steel and the, the tempo are both detail-oriented and meticulous, but where the tempo still does well within a hands-on group, the steel genius prefers to work alone. They learn through reading and love absorbing as much information as possible. The steel wants to understand the mechanics of everything, but on the flip side, this need can cause them to take too much time to finish tasks, even if it's something that should be simple for them. Whenever possible, giving a steel genius work they can accomplish on their own within their own timeframes is ideal. However, as this isn't always possible, helping them to learn within a team will be their biggest area for growth. So as you can see, the last two are the more detailed. So overall, putting them together, the steel and the tempo may work well with dynamos and blazes. Yeah. So in this way, genius does not define how smart we are, but rather learning our genius type tells us how we are smart. Yeah. I feel like you can almost use these two frameworks together, like the limitless framework and then the type of intelligence. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's two different ways of thinking about it, mm-hmm. whereas the the types of intelligence is really detailed in like how you, like what your strength is and what you're interested in, mm-hmm. whereas the, the way that Jim Quick describes it in Limitless is about our strengths and weaknesses as it relates to our work and the way we work with other people. Yeah. What do you think your intelligences are? And and then like what in the limitless framework, which genius do you think you have? So I think there's so many of the, of the different types of intelligences. And to that point too, sometimes I think we can be more than one in different types of ways. Mm -hmm. I would say for the types of intelligence, I think intrapersonal, which is being sensitive to your feelings and goals. Oh, and that fits too, because I'm reading it now. It says it's 
good in the mental health field, which is what I'm in. So I think it's really good to be attuned to your own feelings and those of others and to be able to understand that. Mm -hmm. And do you know what your genius is? I think for types of genius, uh, that one's kind of tough. I need to do a little self-exploration on that. But I feel like overall, I see myself as someone who can see the big picture, but has a hard time with details. So that would mm-hmm. be the dynamo. Tend to have my head in like big picture ideas without being able to really nail down the exact things it takes to get there. That is something I'm aware of and something that I'm working on. So I don't necessarily think types of genius are set in stone, especially as you are developing. I think as you become an adult, you Mm -hmm. kind of solidify these things. But especially in teenage years, when you're trying to figure out who you are, these things might change as you're testing things out. Definitely. And then I I think um, some of the things that might be defined as flaws, those can be worked on and, and improved too. Yeah. Or like different areas of intelligence, you can grow those and become better. Because I think a lot of these things are learnable. Yes, I agree. And I think that's part of the point is that we all have weaknesses and we all have strengths. While you can lean into your strengths, you can build upon your weaknesses as long as you're aware of them. Mm -hmm. So a big part of this is just understanding yourself. Yeah, definitely. Because you can't change anything unless you're aware of it. Very true. So what do you think? Okay, so what I think, I don't know, I feel like it's so much easier to find the stuff that you're not good at. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of mine is interpersonal. So I feel like I can interact effectively with others and I'm sensitive to others. Now my level of caring is going to fluctuate, but mm, I That's an important piece. But I think I can definitely <laughs> do that. And I'll change the way like I don't become a different person, but I'll put forward a different part of my personality depending on the situation. Mhm. So. so able to read the room yeah. and who you're working with. It's like playing to your audience. Yeah. And you can see that as sort of being a chameleon and on the darker side, manipulative, but if it's in an effort to just connect with someone, I feel like it can be really helpful. Yeah. And then I would say the linguistic part of it too, like the sensitivity and meaning and order of words would also be a type of intelligence. So then for my type of genius, I think I relate the most to the tempo because I do prefer like a step-by-step approach and like I need to have deadlines. Yes. I definitely see that in you. Yeah. That's one of the things that I'd really like to change. Like I'm tired of being this person, (laughs) but maybe not change entirely because I feel like that's really helpful, especially I think for us, we work better. Are we work really well in that way because you're really good at details Mm -hmm. and getting stuff done and like making decisions. You've always been really good at that. And I'm just like, whatever, la-di-da. And I feel like we work 
well in that way. Yeah, that is true. All right, I'll keep that one then. <laughs> Maybe just make adjustments. Yeah. So that brings us to our creativity corners. So the question is, do you think you can be more than one type of creative? And as I was looking through these and trying to decide on mine, I can see myself in more than one. I think people have like a dominant type, but there's a lot of different ways to think about it. Like we already went over three different ways of thinking about creativity Mm -hmm. in intelligence and genius. And you can kind of resonate with one, but you may have a touch of the other also. Yeah. Because there's overlap with these things. Yeah, definitely. All right. So the quest this week is to think through the different types of creativity and decide which one resonates with you. And we've got a couple of bonuses on this quest. You can do one thing to develop your creativity in the area that resonates with you. And then second bonus, there is a creative type quiz. So it's mycreativetype.com. And Evie and I both took it. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Yeah, it's very visually appealing. There's eight different types. I would advise like not looking at the types first. Just take the quiz. Then after that, it'll give you your results. And along with that, part of what it gives you in your type is like which type you would pair with. So I thought that was that was interesting. Mm-hmm. That is a nice touch. So we took the quiz and mine was the dreamer which is very fitting because it's like the head in the clouds kind of person who sees big picture ideas, but again, has, has some challenge with the details. So I felt like it was pretty spot on. Yeah. My type, I don't even remember what it is now. It's the, um, the thinker. Yeah. The thinker. So yeah. And that, that goes along with I feel like the other things that we've talked about, about the details and coming up with the plans and and things like that. The person who enjoys the planning more than they actually enjoy the trip. That is very accurate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then unravel a little bit when things don't go according to plan. So. <laughs> yeah. Not a very flexible person. No. So maybe that's that's an area of, of improvement I there. do need to work on my flexibility. Up until mm-hmm. this point, I've, I'm described as rigid. So yeah. That's, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Either accept it or try and adjust. Yeah. All right. The quality creativity. So this one I thought I would talk about, the Netflix show Baking Impossible. Have you watched mm-hmm. that? It's Is that the same one that you've told me about? I, I think I've probably told you about it before. But we haven't seen it together. No. What was that one called? The Great British Baking Show. Okay. Or the Great British Bake Off. Well, yes. this is this is why I like this one. So the mm-hmm. guy that hosts this is a former contestant on the Great British Baking Show. 
Oh, nice. And he, by profession, is an engineer, but he bakes as a hobby. And so what he's done with this show is basically combine engineering with baking. And so they have to make these structures completely out of food it or it has to be edible. Not some of it you wouldn't eat because they use things like pineapple skin to create a certain texture. So you wouldn't necessarily eat pineapple skin, but Mm -hmm. it's still uh, technically it's edible. They have engineering tasks within this too. Like they have to create a boat and it has to go down this little, it has to float so many feet and it has to like be a certain amount tall and it's all those different things. So it combines baking and engineering. So I think not only is the concept creative, but watching, and it's a team of two, you have a baker and an engineer. And so Mm. you have this team of two that competes against other, against other teams of two and what the things that they come up with is pretty creative and it's entertaining as well. That is creative. Yeah. It's a little, it's more lighthearted than some other mm-hmm. baking competition shows. <laughs> right. Like every, everybody's really nice on this and there's some funny aspects. So, uh-huh. so yeah. That's a really good e- example of like combining two different types of genius mm-hmm. to problem solve and come together as a team. Yeah. All right. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And that brings us to our final segment, which is our quote for the week. This one is by Albert Einstein, and it is, creativity is intelligence having fun. That's a good quote. So that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you, everyone. Have Have a a creative creative week. week.